The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Lots of notes this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Lots of notes. And uh, I'm very excited and very expectant for this series. And I believe this, no matter where you find yourself in this room today, whether you are a junior high student, a high school student, a college student, whether you're, you're single and ready to mingle, or whether you're, you're engaged to get married, whether you're married and you're happily married, whether you're married and you would say you're kind of unhappily married, Whether you're divorced, I believe God has something for you. And what we want to do for the next four weeks is we want to plow through what the Word of God has to say when it comes to relationships and specifically when it comes to marriage. And so through this, there's going to be a lot of learning that's going to take place. And that's why you're taking notes because note takers are history makers. But there's also going to be a lot of unlearning that's going to take place throughout this series. Maybe some stuff that you've, you've seen it the wrong way or you've processed, processed it the wrong way. And our, our heart is to say that your heart would be open to whatever it is that God is saying through His Word. This is not going to be me and Sarah's opinion because our opinion doesn't really matter. But our opinion is fixed on the Word of God because the Word of God is truth and life to all those who find it. And so that's what we want to deliver to you over the next several weeks. Right, and I want to share as we get into this just kind of a posture that I feel like the Lord wants us to take in this series. I was reading this week in Acts chapter 14 about Paul and Barnabas when they encounter this man who had been crippled since birth. He has never walked a day in his life. Now look at this with me, verse 8 through 9. It says, he was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized that he had faith to be healed. Now, what that tells me is that there was something about this man, the way that he was leaning in. Paul could see that he was expecting. He was hanging on every word that Paul said, so much so that he could look out at a big crowd like this, and he could see, he realized just by looking at him, that this man had faith to be healed. And so he yelled across the room, shut or stand up. And the guy stood up. And so my challenge to us, I feel like as I read that this week, it, it was for us. We're supposed to lean in like that. We're supposed to be taking notes. We're supposed to be expecting. We want to look out at you as we're preaching and see your faith rising. And when we say stand up, we want you to be like the men and stand up because we believe that God has a miracle in mind for your marriages. Yeah. In fact, I'm wearing this Nike sweatshirt today. I normally don't wear stuff like this, but I'm wearing this today because this mentality is what I want you to have over the next several weeks, all right? We're going to invite you to do some stuff in your relationships, to do some stuff in your marriage based on the Word of God, and as we do, your job is to just do it. Everybody say, just do it. Just do it. So we're going to talk to you about forgiving, and when we do, you're going to... Okay, you'll get it on the next time, I think. We're going to invite you to trust, and when we do, you're going to... We're going to invite you to serve and prioritize. And when we do, you're going to whatever, whatever it is we invite you to do, be like the guy in that story and just jump up and just do it. Just go for it. Right. Because we believe God's got something good in store. Yeah, touch somebody next to you and say, throw your excuses away. Throw them away. Throw your excuses away. Throw your excuses away. The guy in the story, I love it because when Paul said, stand up. He wasn't like, oh, can somebody get me some crutches, though? Or, like, can we do some physical therapy for it first? Or he wasn't like, I've never walked a day in my life. He just stood up. 
And so throw your excuses away. God has something in store for you. So let's lean in. Let's soak it all up. We want to look at you today as we teach this and see your faith rising. Amen. You may say, I'm weak in this area. Well, God is your strength. We just trust in faith that he's going to provide the strength when we need it. Amen. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you. Lord, we love you this morning. And we come into this service expecting. We expect you to speak to us. We expect you to reveal your heart towards us and your heart for our relationships, for our marriages. We ask you to show us things we've never seen before. I pray that as we share this word today, that the love of God would be on display. The love of Jesus would be on display. That, that this would not be a moment where Josh and Sarah are on display, Lord, but that you would be on display. That you would be the loudest voice in this room. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Marriages can be tough. Relationships can be hard, can't they? Yeah. And it's not just hard like when you get older as an adult. It can also be hard when you're a kid. I don't know about you, but I remember like, you remember elementary school age relationships? They were tough. There's some difficult stuff there. In fact, this week, my son Gus uh, came to Sarah. He didn't talk to me about stuff like this. She says, because I, I, I play my cards too hard. Like, I it's try. way too excited. <laughs> but, but he came to Sarah and he told her that there was a girl at his school that had written him one of those letters that's like, hey, let's do this thing, you know? And so he's 11. So, the, he, he, like, this do this thing means be boyfriend, boyfriend girlfriend. girlfriend, not anything else. In case you, <laughs> all right, calm down, all right? So uh, he gets this, this letter and he came to Sarah and he's like, I, I, I like her. I think she's pretty, but I just don't want the drama right now. <laughs> Which I thought was awesome. We were like, yeah, that's fine, buddy. You don't have to. Just tell her, be nice to her. Let her know. Let her down easy. Just say you want to be friends. And so he, he wrote her back. But, you know, we had to let him know that because kids are just honest, right? And sometimes, you know, you get older and you're dealing in relationships and you kind of, there's a little bit of tact and a little bit of like, you know, we say stuff like, it's not you, it's me when we're breaking up. Kids are like, no, it's you. You're the problem. Because kids, they love to play, but they don't play when it comes to honesty, do they? And so it's it funny. This week I, was, I found these letters. These are kids' breakup letters. And, and these, it's these kids, man, they are savage in these letters. So I brought some of these in to share with you this morning as we get started. All right, check this out. Dear Keenan, I'm sorry. We have to break up. You always try to make me laugh, but you just making yourself look bad. We're oh, 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 oh. we're over for real. Love and then notice marked it out from Stevie. All right, go to the next one. Sean, I am breaking up with you. You have not talked to me since the day you asked me out. That was three months ago. You need to get it together, or you will never get married. And that would be sad. You should get married, just not to me, Rachel. <laughs> All right, next one. From Delandre to Crystal, I am breaking up with you. P.S. Happy anniversary, though. One month. It's really hard to do this. <laughs> Turn to the person beside you and say, savage. savage. Relationships can be hard, right? And we know, like... Uh, you know, obviously statistics speak to this. Half of marriages end in divorce. You've all heard that before. And even today, like more single people exist in the world than ever before. Let me read you some of these statistics. More than half of women 18 and older are single, 54%. In 2018, there were 35.7 million single person households making up 
28% of all households. In 1960, single-person households represented only 13% of all households. So more people are single. 29.8% is, or 29.8 is the average age. I don't know how they get that 0.8, but for a first marriage for men and 27.8 for women as of 2018. Um, this, this has increased for the past 25 years with a major increase in 2007. The number of unmarried adults is up 30% since 1978. Yeah, so we all know that statistic that half of marriages end in divorce, but these statistics were pretty surprising. That it's telling us that there are now more single people than married people. And uh, the Bible says that God has called some people to a single life, that it's a gift to them. And if that's you, it's a wonderful thing. Now, it's important for you to know that when I say the single life, that I am not talking about Beyonce's idea of the single life, right? It's not up in the club, just broke up, doing your own little thing, right? You're up on him, you're up on you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of single life. I'm not talking about... Uh, dating around with no intention of ever uh, finding one person that you commit to for the rest of your life. I'm not talking about uh, dating around, sleeping with whoever, whenever. You don't want to settle down. You're, you're afraid of commitment. You can't trust a man. I'm not talking about that kind of single life where you're just going to have fun and you're going to do all the married things without being married. I'm not talking about that kind of single life. That is a sinful life. This is talking about a biblical single life. Uh, and Paul talks about this. He says that it's a gift. And people who are called to the single life, usually they know that they're called because they have no desire to get married. They have no desire to date. They have no desire to court. They're perfectly happy just being single. They don't burn with sexual passion, meaning they can be single and stay sexually pure. There's very few people that are called to this kind of single life, but Paul does talk about it in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. Paul was single. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Then he goes on to say, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man, a single person, they can spend their time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. So this is a great passage, 1 Corinthians 7, for anybody who's single in the room today. Maybe you're single and called to singleness, or maybe you're single, you want to be married, you're just not there yet. Wherever you are, 18 and single, 30 and single, 16 and single, happily single, called, or single and waiting, this tells us that singleness can be a gift and that you can maximize your weight, that you can use this time to serve the Lord. Yeah, so really, you think about it, there's coming a moment if you're single, but you're going to get married, there's going to come a day when, when what Paul's talking about here, you're going to be divided in your energy and your time because when you're married, you have to invest in your marriage. You're going to be thinking about how to love your spouse. You're going to be loving your spouse. You're going to be having conversations. You're going to, you have to dedicate and commit yourself to your spouse. And, and I think one of the things Paul's trying to get across here is in this season right now where maybe you're not there yet, maybe you're single, be committed to the Lord like you'll someday committed, be committed to your spouse. Right. Like really make, make God your spouse at this moment in life and really pursue him and chase after him and serve him and love him and be about his purposes and his calling for you right. in this world, in this life. Yeah. Okay, so back to those statistics though. So why are people waiting longer than ever to get married? 29 for a man and 27 
for a girl. Why are, why are more and more people deciding to stay single instead of going to the chapel to get married? Why do we see this, this rise in singleness? It's not because all these people have been called to the single life. It's not it. So what's the deal then? Well, imagine if there's an airline out there and you've heard of this airline and 50% of every flight ends in a crash, right? One out of every two plane that takes off and never makes it to the runway. It ends somewhere in a crash, pieces everywhere, okay? I don't like those odds. And I don't care how pretty the plane is. And I don't care how cheap the fare is. Like if I could get to Hawaii and it cost me $10, I don't care. I am not taking that flight. I don't like the odds. 50% chance of death. 50% chance of death. Yeah, that's not a flight I'm interested in. Right. So could it be that a, a reason that people are waiting so long to get married? Or could it be that the reason that people aren't getting married at all is because they don't like their odds? Man, that's good. They don't, they, they don't want to be the one out of every two marriages that takes off but never makes it to the runway. Yeah. They don't want to be the 50% of marriages that crashes and pieces of their life are all over the place. They don't want their marriage to end in devastation like they saw it happen with their parents, like they see it happen with every celebrity. People today are seeing right through these $30,000 Pinterest-worthy weddings to the little cheap sign on the side of the road that says uncontested divorce $150. But if you got kids, throw in another 100 because that's going to complicate things a bit. People are seeing through this. The vision for marriage is perishing. And without vision, people perish. Marriage, the idea that God has for marriage, one woman and one man committed to each other forever and ever till death do them part no matter what. It's become an old-fashioned way of thinking. It's an okay boomer kind of a thing. And let me tell you, it breaks the heart of God. Yeah, it does. And our heart must break for what breaks his. Yeah. So today we want to give you, you singles, some hope for what marriage can look like. And we also want to give you married couples. We want to give you some hope and we want to challenge you with what God has to say about marriage. We want to bring you back to what God's plan is for marriage because... Here's the thing, if you understand God's plan for marriage and you start to follow it and walk it out, you're going to like the odds of what your your relationship is going to look like. Right, I like how the Lumineers sang it. They said, I don't gamble, but if I did, I would bet on us. Yeah. Josh and I, when we got married, I was 18. (laughs) I was a baby. I was barely 18. Josh was 23. And I think we have a picture here of us on our wedding day. We just got married. Mr. and Mrs. Joshua Blunt, can you tell Josh is like, what did I just do? Really, though, I'm just thinking, what am I getting ready to do is what. (laughs) Oh, man. We'll talk about that in week four. Week four. Uh, (laughs) We had no idea what we were doing. And after our honeymoon, we had an awesome honeymoon in Hawaii. And uh, after that, I'm telling you, the butterflies flew south quick. Like we, we, the feelings, the, the, the infatuation, the, the love, like it, it just flew south. And uh, two years into our marriage, we were dealing with pornography addiction and broken trust and emotional fare and living paycheck to paycheck and a history of divorce in our family. And there was nothing left really between us. And I was ready to throw in the towel, but God. We turned to God. We made him the center of our marriage. And I'm telling you, almost 17 years in now, 17 years in June, through really hard times, like losing a baby, delivering a son stillborn, 
um, heartbreak, betrayal, people leaving us through really good times, like our three wonderful kids and planting a church and, and all the exciting things that we've been through, through the good times and through the bad times. 17 years. I don't gamble. But if I did, I would bet on us. Not because I'm great. Not because he's great. Not because we're great together, because we're really compatible, but because he's great. But because God is great. And his plan, his plan for marriage is great. So if you're here today and you don't like your odds, and maybe you're, you're, you're real hesitant to get married because you don't want to be the one in 50, let me tell you that if you will make Christ the center of your marriage and That's you right. will do this his way, yep. that you can defy those odds. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so two things we want to talk about today. First of all, we're going to talk about the purpose of marriage. And then second, we're going to talk about what the marriage covenant is supposed to look like, what, what the kind of love that should be on display through our marriage, what that, what that looks like. Okay, so first let's talk about the purpose of marriage. Why did God institute marriage? Why is this something that's in place? Why is this something that's in existence? Well, in order to kind of understand that and look at that, we kind of got to go back to the beginning. We got to look at God's blueprint for marriage. Now, I am in a season right now where I am all about blueprints. I have been, you know, we're, we're getting ready in a few months. We're going to be moving into our new lease space, 33B. But, but the process of getting to the point of construction is a long process. And that process involves a lot of work on the blueprint side, of coming to a place of agreement when it comes to the blueprint. So I've had to meet with architects, and we've talked through what the blueprints are going to look like and where we want walls to be and how this building's going to function so that we can bring people into it and exit people out of it, and it functions for our needs as a church. Then we take that, and we we take it to subcontractors and contractors, and they begin to go through it and tell us how much all that's going to cost. Then we take it to the city of Edmond, and they come back and tell us stuff that we have to put on there that we didn't know that we had to put on. On there. So then we take the blueprint and we change it up a bunch because it's going to cost us way more than we wanted to pay. So we got to change it up to make it work for what our budget is. And then eventually we get to a place where we're all in agreement so that we can begin the work so that we can begin the construction. Because listen, if we're not in agreement, we're going to build a mess. We're going to build something that doesn't function properly, something that costs us more than we can pay. And it could be a mess in the same way. Listen, if you're in a relationship, a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, if you got a set of blueprints you're working on and they got a set of blueprints they're working on and you're not in agreement, you're going to build a mess. You're going to build chaos. And so we got to come to this place of agreement. Now, the good news for you and me is that God is a really good architect. And he has a blueprint for our marriages that we can build our marriages on. And if you do, listen, you're going to have success. Your marriage is going to be blessed. You can have a blessed marriage, a blessed relationship if you'll do things according to God's blueprint. So let's talk about God's blueprint. Genesis 2 verse 24 says this. This is a very early on in the Bible. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. Turn to the person beside you and say, one flesh. flesh. Turn to the other person and say, one flesh. flesh. This idea of one flesh, I'm making you say it because it's a big deal. And it's important for you to understand. One flesh equals this, one mortal life fully shared. One life fully shared. It means that you're no longer individuals, but you become one together. That's the goal. It's two selfish me's living and processing like one unified us. That's the goal. Two selfish me's living and processing like one unified us. That's what we're going for in marriage. That should be the goal in marriage, that you're not divided. You can't be divided. 
If you're divided, you're not going to stand. You can't make it like that. You've got to become one. One in life, one in reputation, one in the marriage bed, one in suffering, one in budget, one in family, one in mission, and so on and so forth. We've got to be one. We can't be divided up. And so that means this. There can't be areas of your life that are off limits to each other. There don't need to be you no know, secrets between you and the person that you're married to if you're in a marriage relationship. Those secrets are going to divide you and conquer you. That's how the enemy works. He wants to divide you and conquer you. you got to have total openness, total accountability with each other, total sharing, total, total solidarity until death do us part. In marriage, we got to be one, united as one for one purpose, for one goal in unity. Right. I would say that Genesis 2.24 is like the key verse, the quintessential verse when we're talking about God's design, the biblical blueprint for marriage. And I love this because Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24 in Matthew 19. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. So what we see here in this is that God is the one that joins the two together. God is the one who makes these two people become one fully shared mortal life. And this tells us that, that marriage is not some product of human social evolution. It's not some man-made idea that we came up with to get tax breaks. It's not something that girls created so that we could wear a pretty white dress and a veil and have flowers and, and ask 15 of our friends nowadays, why so many bridesmaids nowadays? For real, 15? You have 15 best friends? Anyways, 15 people... <laughs> And the different colored dresses, and, and the, you made them pay $300 for that they're only going to wear once so they can stand beside you as you get married. You know, we have all these traditions, the garter, the bouquet toss. That's all man-made. But this marriage, two people becoming one flesh, this is God's design. This idea came down from heaven. And because it's God's design, guess who gets to define it? God. God. Yeah. Not politicians. Not celebrities, not bloggers. They don't get to define it because not your it feelings. was God's idea. One man and one woman coming together, one flesh, joined together by God. This is what Jesus said about marriage. Yeah, look back, Matthew 19, verse 6. Look what it says. It says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together. That word joined there actually means glued. So when you get married, in biblical marriage... God joins you together with someone else. You are glued together with someone else, united with them. So that's the what of, of marriage. That's what takes place. But then there's the question of why. why. Why is this something that God's established? Why is this important? Well, there's three main reasons for it. The first one is this. Through marriage, we are a mirror. Take a note, write that down. Mirror. We're a mirror. And, and here's what that means is the marriage covenant, the relationship that a couple has in marriage should display or should reflect, that's what a mirror does, it reflects, should reflect the love of God and the commitment that God has or Jesus has to his church. That's what a marriage should look like. Uh, Jesus quoted Genesis 2.24. You read that. So that's, that's Jesus quoting it. It's established at the beginning. Now look at this. This is Paul quoting from it. Hopefully you're getting an idea. This verse is kind of a big deal. Ephesians 5, verse 32 and 33, Paul says, As the scriptures say, a man shall leave his father and be joined his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The, the marriage should be an illustration to the world. People should be able to look at your marriage and say, man, that displays the love of God for the church. 
Now, the problem is that ain't what's happening. Because let me just tell you, the the 50% statistic is the same for the church world. So here's the image that we're displaying to the world when it comes to the love of Jesus. We're saying, well, 50% of the time, Jesus may quit on you. That's what we're displaying. Our, Our marriages have become, they're supposed to be this image reflecting the love of Jesus, but some marriages are so messed up that it's so abstract. In, in It's like one of those paintings you see on the wall. It's like an abstract piece of art that you have to look at, and it, it tells you what it is, but you're like, I, that does not look like that to me at all. That's what a lot of us are displaying through our, our marriages. It's, it's not the image of love that God wants us to display. What is the love that Jesus displayed? Here it is. It's a never giving up, never quitting, never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the image of love that God wants us to display. So here's the idea. Human marriages are meant to be many stages on which Christ's love for his church is to be displayed for the world to see. Leave that up there for a minute. Human marriages are meant to be many stages on which Christ's love for his church is to be displayed for the world to see. Through your marriage, the world should be able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus should be visible to the earth through your marriage. So the first thing that our marriage is supposed to do is it's supposed to be a mirror to the world of the love of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, here's number two. Is through marriage we multiply. That one of the things we understand about God is what God blesses can produce fruit after itself. That's a concept of scripture that we see over and over again. So when something's not God-ordained and blessed, it it can't really produce fruit after itself. So that kind of gives you an idea of what marriage should look like. Marriage is one man, one woman coming together who can have sex and be fruitful and multiply. That's what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden at the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. And, And God's called us to do that. And he's given us the gift of sex. Sex is a gift from God. Amen, Amen to that, right? Amen. You know, God could have done it a number of ways. I was thinking this week, like God could have made it where, you know, you just kind of, it's like the guys in the NBA who just come up and kind of dap each other and do all these little handshakes and stuff. God could have made it where you just have a handshake you do with your spouse and she's pregnant. But he didn't do that. He, he created sex. And sex is pleasurable. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Okay, good. First service, they, were, they didn't name in that very well. I was like, you guys ain't doing it right. You should be amen it. But he, he didn't have to make it that way, but he did because it's supposed to be a beautiful way that we share and are joined and unified together in a greater way. It's, it's a gift. And we're going to talk more about that in week four. Make sure you're here for week four. Make sure your little kids are not in here for week four because we're going to get real. We're going out week four with a bang. Yeah. There you go. You're getting it now. There you go. All right, so the three main purposes of marriage are we're going to mirror Christ's love for the church, we're going to multiply and create a legacy of godly children, and then the third one is meat, M-E-E-T. Not meat like a steak. Right, meat, M-E-T. Although that's never a bad thing to have in marriage. Right, Some true. steak. All right, in the beginning. <laughs> you know what you do with that. God made the heavens <laughs> and the earth, and it was good. In the beginning, God made the animals, and it was good. He made the stars, the moon, the sky, and it was good. He made the plant life. He made the ocean life. It was all good. He was on a roll. Everything was good until Genesis 2, 18. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good. Somebody say, not good. Not good. That man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So everything was good in the sight of God until he got to the aloneness of man. The aloneness of man, not 
good. So God was to make Adam a helper comparable to him. Enter Eve, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The King James says, I will make a help meet for him. Right. Do you know your spouse is your help meet? What is a help meet? That's a weird word, isn't it? Help meet? A helper meet. This is a description. It's somebody who is suitable, they're adapted, and they're completing. So when God gave Adam, who was alone, and it wasn't good when he was alone, when he gave him Eve, he gave him someone who was suitable for him, who was going to adapt to him, and who would complete him. And he gave Eve the same in Adam. That's what a help meet does. And this is one of the main purposes for marriage. It's really sweet that God would say, you know what? It's not good for these guys to go at this world alone. So I'm going to give them someone who will be suited to them and who will complete them and, and they can adapt to one another. That's what a help meet's for. Listen, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone and it wasn't good for Eve to be alone. And it's not good for you to be alone. Even if you're called to the single life, you need biblical community. Yeah, you right. need people in your life. But when it comes to marriage, God brings you together. And there's something he can do through you. There's things he can produce in this earth. There's, there's fruit that, he can, that you can bear from your marriage, from your union, that nobody else on earth can do together. A great example, illustration of this is your kids. Uh, his sperm, my egg, only us two could create Gus, Bo, and Sonny Blunt. We made, we did good on that, right? Yeah, Those did. kids are Nailed awesome. It. Gus, Bo, and Sonny. Only the two of us could have created Gus, Bo, and Sonny. But there are other things in your marriage. You, you having a help me and you understanding that you are to that person. There's other things that you are called to produce and, yeah. and birth into the world that That's nobody good. else can. So not just your kids. The only mission that you're on with your spouse is not just raising your kids. It's a big one and it's an important one. But here's what happens. People think that the only unique thing they can do together yeah. and they do that and then the kids move out and they have nothing left. There's more for you to do together. There's more for you to birth, more for you to produce than just your children. When you come together and you understand that you are, God gave you somebody who was suitable to you, who completes you, and who adapts to you. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do know that, it, that if you will be uh, really intentional about this general purpose for your marriage, where you're making sure you're mirroring Christ's love for the church, where you're making sure that you are multiplying and raising up a godly legacy, and you understand that you are each other's helpmate, if you are doing those things, God will begin to reveal to you what unique things you can birth into the world that nobody else can, that no other married couple can. Maybe it's fostering kids together. Maybe it's starting a ministry together. Yeah. We have gifts that work together, pastoring this church with our family ministry, the stuff that resources that we create for the kids. I do the creating. He does the artwork. We, we do things together that nobody else can. I think about a couple like Josh and Kristen. They, they are, they're two different people, very different. Uh, Kristen stays at home with the kids. She volunteers uh, with our small groups. She homeschools. Josh is not full-time at the church. He does so much on a volunteer basis. Bless him for that. And uh, he also works in sales. So they're very different. But they also understand that when they come together, that they can birth things into the world that no one else can. So yeah. they, in this season, they know that they're going to make a difference in the world of people, young couples. They're going to invest in them. They're going to invite them over, have them to dinner, encourage them, show them an example of what godly family and godly marriage looks like. 
because they understand together they can do something that nobody else can. It's not official. It doesn't have a name. They're not ordained by the state. It's just something. It's how they're making a difference in this world, in their world, through their marriage. So good. If you're dating, if you're engaged, a good question to ask is, is this person someone I can run on mission with? Yep. Will our relationship make a difference in our world? It's good and if question. you're married, a good question to ask is, is our marriage making a difference in our world yeah. in this season? Yeah. What are we together as help meets producing into the world that nobody else can? Man, that's good. Good preaching, Sarah. Amen. Somebody say, that's good preaching, girl. That's good preaching. Okay, so God's got a purpose for your marriage. He's got a purpose for your relationship. We want to find that, discover that. We see that in the blueprint God's created. Second thing we want to talk about this morning is the covenant relationship, what covenant looks like. We, we talked earlier about how your marriage is supposed to be a mirror, right? It reflects the love of God and the love of God, the love that we see on display. And I hope, I, man, I hope you know the love of Jesus. Yeah. I really do. I hope you understand his love for you. And it's not based on your performance. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on his covenant love for you. And he was willing to, covenant typically has to do with blood is shed. And Jesus shed his blood to love you, to make a way for you. And the love that he has available for you is a never stopping, never quitting, never giving up, always and forever unbreakable love. That is covenant love on display. And that's the kind of love that we are to display and to carry in our relationship with our spouse. Listen, marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. Nowhere in scripture do we see this idea of marriage being about, you know, we just come together and we'll just kind of be in agreement and we'll just have this little trade-off. of that's, that's not covenant love. That's not what the Bible's called us to. In fact, the Bible says this in Malachi 2.14. The Lord was witness to the covenant made at your marriage between you and the wife of your youth. Now stop right there just real quick. I don't know what your wedding day looked like. I don't know how many people were there if you're married today. You may have had 1,000 people at your wedding. You may have had 500 people. You had 20 people. It may have been you and your, your spouse and the justice of the peace. I don't know, but I can tell you one person that was there. God was there. He was a witness to the vow that you made at your wedding. And he is still, listen, he is still a witness today to how you, how you continue to carry out the vow of commitment that you made. So just something to think about, okay? It goes on to say, she is your companion and the wife of your covenant made by your marriage vows. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. But we live in a world that's very contractual in thinking. We have a lot of contracts in our world. We have contracts with our cars and with our houses and with businesses. And we, we deal in a lot of contracts. And at the end of the day, contracts really, all a contract is about is exchanging goods and protecting rights. But that's not what we commit to in marriage. In fact, I think a lot of us would be shocked if we heard vows that were written with, if they were contractual in nature. And to help you with that, I actually wrote some vows this morning. I'm going to read to you that are contractual in nature. Listen to how romantic this is, all right? You ready? I, Josh, somewhat, to commit, somewhat commit to act as though I love you, Sarah, for as long as you fulfill your end of the bargain. I commit not to leave you unless my feelings change or unless it gets difficult or awkward. I will cherish you when it's convenient. I will hold you if it leads to something else that I like. And I will honor you if I deem you worthy of it. I will do these things for better or worse. See addendum 1.17 as the qualifying terms of worse. In health and as long as you stay in shape. 
And until emotionally driven decisions do us part, so help me, feelings. Ladies, how many of you would love to hear a man make that kind of commitment to you and vows on your wedding day? Nobody, right? And yet that's kind of really, at the end of the day, this is how a lot of us process our marriage vows. We see them from this contractual way of thinking. And, and here's how a contract works. Signers of a contract agree to uphold their end as long as the other person does as well. Kind of like this place, Noah's Event Center. They hold weddings here. Let's say I want to have a wedding here. And I came in and I said, I want to have a wedding. I want to have it on this date. I want it to be, the building to be set up this way. I want the lights this way. I want chairs this way. This is how we're going to do it. And, and so we come to terms on that. And then they come back and they say, okay, that's great. The only thing that we ask is that you can't do these things. And one of those things is you can't bring glitter into this building. We don't want glitter. It makes a mess. It's hard to clean up. No glitter. And so the day of, of our wedding comes up, the day that this wedding's going to take place, and I come into the building, and the, the air conditioner's not on, it's, it's hot, the chairs aren't set up right, the lights aren't right, then I can come in and say, hey, you guys didn't fulfill your end of the bargain, you either get, you either get this right, or I'm out, I'm breaking this contract. Or let's say I come in, and I got a glitter cannon, and they're looking at me going, hey, we said no glitter, and I'm like, yeah, but I can't imagine my wedding without this glitter cannon, I gotta have it. They're going to say, well, then you can't have your wedding here, we're breaking the contract. That's contractual thinking. If you don't do your end, then I'm not going to do my end. We can just break this off. That is not what God has called us to. God has called us to covenant. In covenant, it means I'm going to fulfill my end of the bargain regardless of what you do. I'm going to cherish you whether you cherish me or not. I'm going to be here for you in sickness and health regardless of whether you're here for me in sickness and health. I'm chasing after you with my love no matter what. Everybody say, no matter what. That's covenant love. And once we understand that, it takes the idea of bailing on marriage out of the equation. And let me just tell you, I believe it's one of the problems that we see. One of the reasons why 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce today is because we've made divorce too easy. We put it on the bottom shelf where it's just like, oh, this ain't working out. I'll just bail on this. We got to understand God's heart when it comes to this stuff. If you see exiting as an option, let me just tell you, when the going gets tough, you're probably going to get going. In fact, I, I, another letter I found this week as I was finding these little kids' breakup letters was this letter where a little boy was asking out this girl, and, and the mentality of this is pretty awesome. Go ahead and throw that up there, guys. Look at this. Dear Ashley, would you please be my girlfriend? I like you a lot. Yes, no, maybe. Anybody ever get one of these growing up? I did. I was hot stuff in elementary school, people. P.S. Please put yes, no, or maybe, because obviously this is hard to understand. This is her at the bottom. I'm sorry. I already have a boyfriend, Kyle. But when we break up, you my next choice. P.S. That'll probably be in a month or two. <laughs> now, we laugh, right? But honestly, this elementary school way of thinking is how a lot of people go into marriage. Now, this ain't working. This is probably in, and if it does, no big deal. I'll just marry somebody else. I'll just move on and start over again and just be married and keep, keep doing this. Listen, we, we can't have that mentality when it comes to marriage. That, that approach will kill your marriage. Right. It'll destroy your marriage. It, it may not be great, but you've got you to gotta continue to chase after your spouse and chase after God's plan. Right. When we accept that divorce is not an option, in the majority of cases... We're going to talk about a few allowances here in a second, but when we accept divorce is not an option, 
that's when our marriages can really change. That's the key to transformation is knowing that there's no way out of this thing. Do you know that if you leave your spouse for unbiblical reasons, that that signed divorce paper means nothing in the sight of God? It's not that you can't divorce it's not that you shouldn't divorce, but it's like you actually can't. Let what God joined together, let no man separate. So when we have that mentality that, that we are not looking for an exit, that we can't get out, that we're, gonna, we're in this forever, then we start asking different questions. Instead of saying, where's the nearest exit? We're saying, who do we need to talk to so good. to get wow. this right? Who do we need to meet with? Who do we need to invite into this? Who do we need to pray for us? Who, who, what, what can I do to serve you better? How can I fulfill my vows better? We start asking different questions. Stop asking, where's the exit sign? That's not the right question to be asking. And no exit mentality will help you keep your marriage the number one priority apart from your relationship with God. Did you know that? Apart from your relationship with God, your spouse is your number one priority. And when you have that no exit mentality, it makes you work on that marriage and prioritize the marriage. Now, we, we aren't saying there aren't biblical grounds for divorce because there is. There's no doubt that he allows for divorce in particular circumstances. But I want you to notice that divorce is never, someone say never. Never. It's never commanded by God. God's heart is always, someone say always. Always. God's heart is always for repentance, for forgiveness, and for reconciliation. It's good. His heart is always for repentance, meaning I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from it. It's for forgiveness, and it's for reconciliation. That's what his heart is for. Remember, our marriage is supposed to image the love that Christ has for the church. And you and I, we have sinned against God far worse than our spouse could ever sin against us. That's so good. But aren't you glad that he hasn't divorced us? Amen. Aren't you glad that he didn't divorce us? He said, no, I see you repent. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to reconcile you into my family forever. Yeah. This is what our marriages are supposed to represent. So he doesn't command it, but he does allow it. And here's why. It's because people are fallen. It's because people have hardness of heart. Yeah. And there are people who will refuse to repent. Yep. There are people who will refuse to forgive. Yeah. And in these two, count them two particular circumstances, he says if the heart is hard, you can divorce. Sexual immorality is valid grounds. You can read about that in Matthew 19. And desertion by an unbelieving spouse, you can read about that in 1 Corinthians 7. But I want you to also see that what he lays out as grounds for divorce is also grounds for forgiveness. And we've seen it. God can take a marriage that has been pulverized by sexual immorality. And if there is true repentance and there is forgiveness, then there can be reconciliation. And he can take a marriage that's not just broken into pieces, but has been pulverized into dust and there is nothing left. He can take that dust and he can pick it up and he can breathe life into it. And you can have a story of redemption. You can have a story of resurrection. That's why he never commands it. Now, let me say this. Misery, unhappiness, poverty, incompatibility, we fight a lot. None of that's listed as grounds for divorce. Now, where there's danger, physical abuse, separation is necessary. Absolutely. God does not expect you to live in a house where you're getting beat up or your kids right. are getting beat up. You leave, you yes. separate, Absolutely. you seek wise counsel, you get help. Yes. But here we see that God glues us together and he makes it very difficult. He puts divorce on the highest shelf. And he does that because he hates it. 
Yep. Malachi 2.16 says, For I hate divorce. Say these next three words with me. Says the Lord. Who hates divorce? God hates divorce. Now listen, if you're divorced, God does not hate you. The church does not hate you. We don't hate you at all. But we do want you to understand that God hates divorce. And here's why. God hates divorce because divorce hurts people. See, here's the heart of God. Anything God hates, He hates it because He's motivated by His love in another way. For example, I would hate somebody to beat up my wife because I love my wife and I don't want anyone laying a hand on her. Since I love her, I hate anything that's going to hurt her. You guys tracking with me? And when the Bible talks about the things that God hates, uh, typically those things are called the enemies of God and the enemies of His people. So get this, when God says he hates divorce, here's what he's saying. Divorce is an enemy to me and it's an enemy to my people. And my question to you is, is that how you see it? Is divorce to you, is it an option or is it an enemy? Because it's an enemy to God. And we cannot take lightly things that God takes seriously. And his hate is a serious thing for something that he knows will hurt you. He loves you. And that's why he doesn't want you experience that. He knows how it will, it will hurt the image of God that he wants to display to your children, to your family, to the world around you. He knows what kind of damage it'll do to you and he loves you so he doesn't want, he loves you and we do too. So right. don't get me wrong, right. but he does hate divorce because it'll hurt you. Right. If you're divorced in this room, I know there's many divorced people in this room. We know that you know why he hates it. You could preach this better than we could about why he hates divorce because you know how painful it is to yeah. walk through and how much it hurts and how much it still hurts from time to time. You know why he hates it, but we want to remind you today that there is therefore now no condemnation Condemnation. for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He loves you, and he loves you with a covenant love. He loves you with a love that doesn't stop, never ends. It's always and forever. It's unbreaking. No matter what, how messy the divorce was, he still loves you you and he's not done with you and there is hope for you and your story is not over there is healing for you there's a new chapter for you there may be pain in the night but joy comes in the morning he's not done with you yet I am a product of two people whose marriages ended in divorce my mom her first marriage ended in divorce she became a single mom of four kids my dad her his first marriage ended in divorce he became a single dad of a daughter And that's not what they were planning. They didn't plan on their marriages to end that way. They were hurt. They were broken. But they were not called to the single life. They knew that God had somebody out there for them. So they began to pray that God would bring somebody in their life that they could love with this covenant love. And a couple weeks later, later they met at a country line dancing club. They left and they talked about the Holy Spirit all night long. And a few weeks later, they were engaged. Weeks. And a few months later, they were married. And a few years later, they had me. And then they had my little brother. And they are still in love, covenant love, fulfilling their vows to one another. Their story was not over. There was more. Your story is not over. God has hope for you no matter where you find yourself today. Absolutely. We believe God has a good plan for you today. And I know we've laid a lot of groundwork. It was important we talk about a lot of this stuff today. And I I hope that today you're feeling the love of God for you wherever you find yourself today because that's the beautiful thing we want you to see. God loves you so much and he's called you to an incredible life and he has hope for your marriage. And if you'll just turn to him 
and you'll, you'll put God at the center of your marriage and you'll become one. You'll work to be unified in purpose to come under God's covenant blueprint for, for what marriage can be. We believe God can take your marriage and build something incredible out of it that not only blesses you, but blesses your spouse, blesses your kids and makes a generational impact in this Amen. world. At, at the end of each of these messages this next four weeks, we want to give you guys some homework to go go home and do. And if you're in a small group, they're going to ask you, did you do the homework? Okay, so do the homework. Um, if you're married, here, here it is. Go on a date this week. It doesn't have to be fancy expensive. You could be in your PJs on the couch with the pizza. The kids are in the bed. Boom, that's a date, right? Go on a date this week. Figure out the answers to these questions. How can our marriage better mirror Christ's love for the church? How can we be better mirrors? What is God's unique plan for our marriage in this season? This may require prayer. We may have to pray together. God, what can we birth into this world that nobody else can? Third, find your wedding vows. Or if you can't find them, Google standard wedding vows. Read them out loud to one another. Remind yourself of what you promised before God, how you would love your spouse. And if you're unmarried, here's some homework for you. Ask yourself, how can I better maximize my time serving God before I'm married? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm limit, my, my distractions are limited. How can I serve God better? Two, if you desire to marry, pray for your future spouse. Pray for them every night this week, every day this week. Pray for your future spouse. And then third, connect with another single friend and study 1 Corinthians 7 together. I believe all, the, all of that homework is on the, the app too. So if you're looking for that, the New Song app is where you can find it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room single, married, divorced, wherever we find ourselves. Lord, I just pray a blessing over our church today and over these people. I pray that your love, your covenant love would be on display for them, that they would, they would feel it and experience it and see it like they've never seen it before. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today, in the sound of my voice, that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, has never experienced that love, that you would help them to come to know you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.